Hello everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, I am your host, Simon, and what we have today is... Look, I'm just going to apologize up front for all Korean pronunciations throughout this entire episode because... I even tried to look up the, the, the episode today is called The Cheon Family, Korean Cannibal Clan. And uh, I looked this up. I've got two pronunci- main pronunciation dictionaries that I use. And uh, neither of them had this. So I've just relied on Google Translate, which tells me that it's pronounced as such. Cheon. So I'm hoping that's right. Uh, I'm going to do my best, but I am absolutely going to fall down at points. So just that disclaimer out of the way at the top of the episode. It is, of course, as always, written by Callum, who has put me together this... Feels like a very weighty script today. So, uh, this is obviously a long episode, one of our main episodes. I'm going to read it. I've not read it before. As uh, someone described in the comments, it's a cold read. And uh, we'll learn about the Korean cannibal clan together. And then afterwards, Jen will add some images and some music and really just polish things up so it looks like a nice finished piece of work. And with that said, let's just jump into it. A global pandemic, rising wealth inequality, rampant inflation cutting deep into our pockets. These truly are troubled times. Uh, I'm recording this in May of 2021. And it's like, okay, so it seems like the pandemic's died out a little bit, at least in the West. I mean, India at the moment is, uh, this will all become incredibly dated. But that inflation hasn't really hit yet. But boy, at the rate the government's printing money, are we going to get some mega inflation? That's going to be intense. These are truly troubled times, with a ga- with the gap between rich and poor growing ever larger. It's little wonder that many of those on the bottom of the pyramid are just a tad frustrated with those at the top, to put it lightly. Voting and protesting make for slow progress, so perhaps it's time for a more direct approach. Whoa, Callum, what are we doing? It's like, rally the troops! If you hold a grudge against the rich, have you tried just, uh barbecuing them. That's precisely what one group of disgruntled proletariats known as the Cheon family did back in the 1990s in Korea. They quite literally ate the rich. I mean, I like Korean barbecue, but this uh, brings a whole new meaning to it. Did they really barbecue them? That's so crazy. This gang of bourgeoisie bashers set out on a mission to improve their lot in life through a campaign of murder, extortion, and domestic terrorism against South Korea's newly minted middle class. Somewhat more hardcore than setting up a tent city in front of Goldman Sachs, and it makes for a far better story. The Captain's Story on the evening of September the 16th, 1994, Seoul Police Captain Go Byung Chong sat in his squad car on a stakeout. Among the newspaper articles that he idly scanned through that evening was a short piece on the disappearance of a middle-aged couple, a factory owner, and his wife. <laughs> Little did Captain know that this very night he would be dragged headfirst into that story. As he rolled up the paper, his pager started beeping on his waist. Ah, yes, pages. It's 1994, setting the scene. A message from a cafe worker acquaintance whose colleague went missing earlier that year. Read, Captain, it's really urgent. Please come to see a Chosio. The cafe worker was waiting for him there, along with a woman. She was disheveled and distraught, with scratches all over her arms and tears in her clothing. This was the missing woman, Lee Jong Soo, that's a pseudonym, and she had turned up alive, claiming to have escaped from a group of armed bandits. How long ago was this previous year? And it was September, so like roughly a year ago. I have to say, like normally if people go missing, I don't know, normally it's bad news, right? Especially when we start this with they were barbecuing rich people. 
Ah! Uh. Captain Go had barely walked in the door before Miss Lee bombarded him with a whirlwind version of her story. Kidnappings, murders, a blood-stained basement prison cell. Familiar. She was so frantic, the other officers originally thought she was high and checked for needle marks. Captain Go was a little more sympathetic. He sat Miss Lee down in the cafeteria and asked her to go through everything slowly from start to finish. It seemed too wild to be true, but one detail stuck out. A middle-aged couple kidnapped near Seoul and murdered in the gang's basement prison. This woman knew details of the disappearance not yet released to the press, which meant she was telling the truth. Captain Go spent the next two days cross-referencing this woman's claims with the police archives and managed to compile a dossier on her alleged kidnappers. Their base was far outside of his jurisdiction, but Ms. Lee was adamant that these killers had spies in the local PD, so passing it over was not an option. Yeah, that's got to be really scary for your kidnaps. It's like, yeah, we've already bought the local police, which, uh, yeah, you're not getting rescued. Although this Captain Go... Go, go, go! So Captain Go asked the chief for permission to put together a crack team of his best men and investigate the hideout himself. Like an 80s movie cliche, the chief told him he had 24 hours to bring them in. There are so many 80s movie cliches here, it's like, but it's out of your jurisdiction, Captain. Brilliant. I'm gonna put together a crack team of my best men. You got 24 hours! It feels like every 80s movie ever. The captain gathered five of his best men, armed them with pistols, and set off with their witness in the passenger seat. The drive along busy countryside roads to the rural Bolgabnion area took five hours. They pulled up to their destination in the late afternoon, a quiet area surrounded by farmers' fields with just a few houses dotted around. From a hilltop overlooking the area, Lee Jong-su managed to identify the one that was, she was taken to. The little pink building looked like any other home in the area, but she insisted that this was the headquarters of a sadistic group of killers. If she was to be believed, then the occupants were in possession of explosives and assault weapons, so kicking down the door would be too dangerous. I mean, if she's just lying... <laughs> Her lie has been taken to an absurd point by this degree. I'd be very inclined to believe her, especially if the risks are that they have bombs. I'd be like, let's call Korean SWAT, shall we? Instead, the police took up watch positions, or we could do that. Or we could just watch, we could observe, see what's going on. Uh, on the mountainside at the back of the property and far down the street. The captain and witness stayed in the car. For hours, they watched and they waited without any sign of movement. After four hours of patience, something stirred in the house. Miss Lee was looking through the binoculars and she saw a figure slip out of the front door and into the truck that was parked out front. Captain Go grabbed his radio. Follow him. We cannot lose them. The Cannibal Manifesto Okay, we'll return to this episode of Korean Cops in a little while, but before that dramatic conclusion, we should probably learn a little bit about the inhabitants of that little pink bungalow. It all started at a card game in the summer of 1993. There, 27-year-old manual laborer Kim Ji-hwan played alongside the student Kim Hwan Yang, 23, and ex-con Moon Sang-rok, 23 as well. This is quite a collection of people. There's a student, there's a manual laborer, and there's a previous prisoner. How did these guys meet together to play cards? It's a bit weird. Between hands, especially, what's the student doing there? <laughs> Between hands, Kim spoke to the younger man about his hatred of the rich. I was inspired to punish them for their wealth and corruption after seeing a news report on crooked university entrance exams. And at that point, the student Kim starts sweating profusely because it turns out he's studying investment banking. <laughs> Not really, I made all of that up. In the past, he saw his own promising academic career fall apart due to his family's financial issues, forcing him to a life of manual labor in the factories of Seoul and Busan. His anti-rich propagandizing struck a chord with the other angry young men, and the three of them agreed to form their gang that evening. Sounds kind of like, you know, Marx 2.0. 
They called themselves the Muscan, a word which uh, the leader said was Greek for ambition. It's not. The word doesn't exist. Clearly did finish his university education. Although I have university education, I have no... I, the only thing I know about Greek is... Does the Omega is Greek, right? Isn't that the last letter of the Greek alphabet? Alpha and Omega. Is that Greek or is that Latin? Who cares? Just move on. You're making yourself look dumb, Simon. Since this group of borderline illiterates botched their own nickname, prosecutors on the case gave them a new one. The Chion family, meaning supreme or sovereign. That's very generous of them. It's like, what are the police calling it? Supreme family. It's like they're, they're cannibals. They're criminal cannibals. The doctrine was pretty straightforward. One, we hate the rich. Two, any traitors must be killed. Three, never trust a woman, not even your own mother. These sound like communist incels. <laughs> Hardly as poetic as Marx and Engels. Poetic. But then again, these guys weren't interested in leading a communist uprising. I I, I mean, I, I, I always say I'm definitely more capitalist than I am communist. I'm kind of like capitalist without being a d is kind of my thoughts on it. Because there's capitalism when you're a d and it's it's bad also people like are way too like pro-capitalism because they think yeah it's perfect it's the opposite of communism and it's like yeah communism sucks it does suck more than capitalism but capitalism is also not a perfect system uh, i did well there's no i don't think there's any such thing as a perfect system but marx and engels i don't think it's poetic at all it's like i've read the communist manifesto it's like 90 percent just capitalism bashing and then a few shoddily put together ideas you, you get ready to use that dislike button everybody <clears throat> if you're watching on youtube if you're on a podcast you can't do that so uh give me a one star review maybe please don't do that but then again these guys weren't interested in leading a communist uprising their mission was all about revenge the Xi'an family's objective was to amass a total of 1 billion won which was roughly equivalent to 1.25 million us dollars at the time through kidnapping and extortion wait 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 so these guys hate the rich but they want to become rich oh the irony it's sort of like you know how the people at the uh, top of a communist country end up really really rich makes perfect sense over the next few weeks they spoke to other impoverished laborers at their construction jobs and encouraged them to join up moon had already done some time for larceny and he managed to convince fellow convicted robbers bayak bung ok 20 and kang dong un 21 to join them 20 year old kang moon sub and 18 year old song bong un were the last to sign up with all of the pledges complete leader kim asked his young disciples to pull their finances together in order to cover the setup costs founding a gang of murder bandits isn't cheap after all after several months of collective saving the gang was able to procure a pretty impressive stack of weapons on the black market six rifles a submachine gun a gas gun short-range self-defense firearm a pistol one sword always handy <laughs> one hunting knife an electric cattle prod and a healthy stock of dynamite holy that got real i mean okay you got an electric cattle prod you buy that in like i don't know some farming store and also dynamite i know i joke about how easy it is to get guns in the U u.s but jesus christ korea <laughs> yeah well said gallon the rest of the money was spent on a couple of used cars walkie talkies and furnishing a hideout for the group to stay in together a pink detached house inherited by one of the members to conceal their victims effectively they even decked out the basement with three concrete floored prison cells on their days off the gang spent their leisure time out in nature camping on the slopes of the second tallest mountain in the country jirasan there kim and the more experienced members led training sessions on the finer points of dynamite handling and kidnapping by july that same year they were ready for their first victim wait so these i mean one guy went to prison for larceny and thieving and there were another couple of ex-cons but they were taught by the senior guy oh experience members so who, who had experience handling dynamite and kidnapping was anybody really i do enjoy these criminal ones where it's like the criminals are just desperately incompetent and have no idea what they're doing although i get the feeling these guys are actually going to get up to some success which is just a little bit depressing finding their feet 
Mia Choi, that's a pseudonym again, was walking under a train bridge in the town of Nonsan, 60 miles to the north of her hideout, when the gang first laid eyes on her. They pulled up alongside her and snatched her into their car before driving off to a remote hillside. The young daughter of a farmer, she hardly fit the profile of their intended victim, but that didn't matter. This was just practice, after all. On the hillside, they... You know you're you know you're bad criminals where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not actually gonna go after the rich people that we want. We're just gonna kidnap someone just to practice kidnapping and murder or whatever. And it's like that I mean, you're a bad person for like having some sort of crazy ideological belief in kidnapping rich people to eat them, but you're a worse person when you're just like, Yeah, let's just practice on someone who's not rich just to see if we can do it. You psychos. Stop it. On the hillside, the gang took turns raping the girl before their leader used her to de- demonstrate one last lesson. The last thing she ever heard was Kim Ji Hwan lecturing his disciples while he strangled her to death. This is how you kill a person, he said. No shit, Kim. After that horrific little workshop was all wrapped up, the gang disposed of the body in a shallow grave. Mia would later be discovered by a local villager out cutting weeds, but by then the Xi'an family was long gone. It would be well over a year before anyone would know what happened that day. Well, that's a horrific beginning to our story. A whole life cut short, in the most brutal way imaginable, just for the sake of practice. It should be clear by now that these guys were not the sympathetic anti-heroes you might have been hoping for. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Marx and Engels. They were like, yeah, we should do this communism thing. These guys, these, what are you up to? Please stop. The Xi'an family's training was complete. They were now fully prepared to stick it to the wealthy folks of Korea. Yes, training. Brilliant job. Excellent. As good as the military. But later that summer, they hit a bit of a snag. Song Bong-un was missing. This was especially worrying because the baby of the bunch also served as gang treasurer. A fat stack of 3 million won, that's $3,750, went missing with him. It was pretty clear what happened. The youngster had gotten cold feet. Throughout an entire week in early August, they searched around the nearby towns and villages for any trace of him. Eventually, someone tipped them off. The traitorous youngster was hiding at a relative's house not far from the HQ. Oh, you've made an error. You've run off with the people who have already proven that they're very happy to murder. You've run off with a lot of their money, and you haven't gone very far, and you're staying at your relative's house. You're gonna get murdered. Or, or worse. I mean, is the worse than death. I mean, being tortured to death. It's gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna be a bad time for you. As per golden rule number two, the Xion dragged Song out to a remote patch of woodland near the base of the mountains and put a bullet in his head. Just like the young girl a few weeks before, he was buried in an unmarked grave. Now, I don't want to say that it was on you, um, but also, my dude, no, you, you shouldn't have run off with the money. Or if you should have, or if you did want to, you should have run further, shouldn't you? After the death of the youngest member, the trail goes cold for a while. Not much is known about the Xi'an family's activities in the latter half of 1993 and the first half of 1994. In fact, most reports have a pretty stark blank spot during this entire time period. I find it a little tough to believe that they just took a one-year hiatus. Perhaps they got spooked when the police came to inquire about their missing friend, or perhaps there are more victims out there who've yet to be identified. In either case, the story picks up again in June of 1994. It was then that the police came looking for Kim Ji Hwan. The teenage niece of one of the old school friends reported that the gang leader had raped her in 1993, not long before the gang's first murder. He was sentenced to five years behind bars. Kang Dong-un stepped up to take control of the crew and made regular visits to the prison to receive their instructions from Kim. From his prison cell, he ordered the gang of young killers to begin their campaign of terror in earnest. A hatred of Hyundai's. Wait, they hate the car, Hyundai? <laughs> okay. Just after midnight. Oh, wait, the Hyundai's. Hyundai's a Korean car company. I mean, I'm just learning that, I assume so. Like, is Kia Korean as well? I know, Koreans make a lot of cars. Um, 
Is the Hyunze family gonna be like a super rich Korean family and they're gonna barbecue them? Dude, this is intense. Just after midnight on the 8th of September 1994, 27-year-old cafe waitress Lee Jong-soo returned from work uh, to her sole apartment. She was ready to turn in for the evening when her phone rang. It was the bandmaster who played the cafe every now and then. Uh, the two had been casually dating for a while. Today, he was inviting her out for a drink with some of their mutual friends at a riverside restaurant to the east of Seoul. He picked her up in his pre-owned Hyundai Grandeur, and they drove off out of the city. And somewhere along the way, the couple was singled out. Okay, so it's not the Hyundai family, it's just people with Hyundais. I mean... I don't know much about Hyundai's, but I don't exactly think they're like a luxury car driven by the rich. They're just a regular car that drives around. I mean, I feel like it's super generic Asian, like Japanese or Korean, maybe car. Who knows? The Xion family had been staking out motels on the east side of Seoul after being told rich couples often use them for romantic rendezvous. I mean, honestly, maybe they're like, at, you know, they're a little bit on the side or whatever at the motels, but it's not exactly where I imagine rich people hang out. Like, we don't really have many motels in Europe, but I've been to the US a few times. I've stayed in a couple of motels. They're pretty rough. They're usually cheap and rough. Like, Nora's like, oh, you run across the upper crust of society at the motels. No. Maybe Korea's different. <laughs> the worst place I ever st stayed was like a Mexican motel. And I was on a road trip in Mexico. This is a total irrelevant side tangent. But I was like, we were on a road trip and we needed somewhere to stay. And we are just like, oh, look, there's a hotel on the side of the road. So we're like, okay, let's check in. And we checked in. It was really cheap. It was really nasty. And then we kind of went to the rooms and they were really weird. They had big mirrors on the ceilings. And the beds had like these plastic sheets in them. And we were like, oh, this is a sex hotel, isn't it? This is where people come to be with prostitutes or they're like illicit lovers. And that was weird. <laughs> we definitely, we'd already paid. So we were like, I guess we're staying in the sex hotel. <laughs> Uncomfortable. Moving on. Back in 1994, a Hyundai Grandeur was considered quite a luxury vehicle in Korea. Okay, there we go. I guess I was wrong. Hyundais. It represented the sort of wealth flaunting that made the Xion family's blood boil. They quietly pulled out of the motel parking lot and tailed the couple down those dark country roads. It's like... <laughs> maybe, maybe Hyundai was a luxury vehicle or something. Maybe Hyundai is a luxury vehicle. I don't know enough about it. But it's not like I see... <laughs> it's like a Bentley or something. <laughs> Miss Lee was looking out the side window daydreaming when the car screeched to a halt. Another car stopped in front, blocking the road. At the back, they were boxed in by a truck. Before they had any idea what was going on, a group of men got out of the car in the front and approached the Hyundai. The bandmaster rolled down his window to shout out at the ambushers, and he was shot with the gas gun. At the same time, someone threw Miss Lee's door open and struck her in the side of the head before being knocked unconscious. She saw the bandmaster dragged out onto the road and beaten, while the Hyundai's car alarm blared. But nobody was around to hear it. In under two minutes, the Xion family had the battered couple loaded into the back of their car and drove off with all three vehicles. At a village not far from the site of the attack, Miss Lee and her boyfriend were thrown out of the getaway car. First, she was bound, gagged, and blindfolded. When she begged them to loosen the ropes on her arms, they instead tightened them so hard that she thought that her wrists would snap. Two men then picked her up and threw her in the bed of the truck. Lying there, the gravity of the situation dawned on her for the first time. Until now, she'd convinced herself that it couldn't possibly be real, but now her mind raced through all the horrible ways these kidnappers might kill her. Her thoughts were interrupted by the thud of the bandmaster being thrown in beside her. He was bleeding from a stab wound in his side. The gang pushed them right to the back of the cargo area and concealed them behind crates, just in case they got stopped by the police. The victim spent hours crammed into that space in total darkness, not knowing if they would survive the night. When the duct tape was finally peeled, I'm getting the feeling one of them survives, because I figure 
the Shion family had that year of silence. So I, as I said at the beginning, I've not read these before, so I don't know the outcome. So either they all die or are not arrested or they're never caught or they do get arrested and they don't talk. So if they didn't talk about that one year where they, you know, kind of did nothing, but there's probably more bodies to find, then they're not going to spill the beans about this kidnapping. So I'm guessing either the, the woman or the bandmaster survives this ordeal to tell the story. When the duct tape, just my guess, when the duct tape was finally peeled off Miss Lee's eyes, she found herself in a damp, cramped space, locked behind heavy iron bars. Her hands were heavily swollen from being bound for so long. The bandmaster was in the cell opposite, so pale that he looked already dead. But death wasn't what the gang had planned for them. Not yet. One member brought milk and bread to the victims, but understandably misled into much of an appetite. When she never finished her meager meal, he said to the others, You have to know real hunger to know how precious each drop of milk is. That's when she realized these people have mistaken them for rich folk. Anyone making a living as a musician or a barista will know how wide of the mark that was. This, well, how did they afford that iron die? This could either be very good or very bad. On the one hand, if money was what they wanted, they might just let the working class couple go. On the other hand, their lack of ransom money might make them all the more expendable. The Shion family interrogated the couple one at a time. They told them the truth about their financial circumstances and the stories matched, they would survive the ordeal. If not, well, the chainsaws and hunting knives spoke for themselves. There's also that sword. Don't forget the all-important sword. Uh, however, if they've seen these guys' faces and they've seen how they operate and all this stuff, you can't, like, if you've been kidnapped, right, and the people are, like, letting you see their faces and talking about all these details around you, this isn't a James Bond movie. You're not going to escape later and then tell the, you know, the the, the good guys, the bad guys' master plan. And they're just going to kill you because they'll you'll be able to ID them. Anyway. Kidnapping Survival 101. So the couple were honest, but it wasn't exactly what the gang wanted to hear. Their fancy Hyundai was actually pre-owned and cost the bandmaster the vast majority of his savings. If they were looking for money, they had kidnapped the wrong couple. Leader Kang Dong ung said it was a pity these people weren't their enemy, but they had already come too far to go back now. The only consolation that he could offer was that their deaths would be painless. How kind of him. But painless is hardly how I would describe the following 24 hours. Also, they were bound and thrown in the back of a truck for hours. This is already well along and terrifying. Jeez. While the, and it, they, they stabbed the dude. While the bandmaster lay bleeding on the prison floor, the gang took turns raping Miss Lee. Guys, what are you up to? Like, it'll be painless. And now this. Why? What are you doing? When it was the turn of young Kim Huan Yang, he was to- he told her there was a chance that he might be able to prevent his comrades from executing her. He would, she would have to be prepared and be strong when the time came, because there was only one way to beat them and that was to join them. That evening, he negotiated a deal with his comrades, which most likely saved her life. I should add here that Lil' Kim is not the hero of this story. He very much participated in every atrocity described above, and was an original founding member, but he was the closest thing to a savior that Miss Lee had. Yes, a rapist savior. Uh, and if you're in her position, you've got to be like, yeah, sure, I'll join your gang. <laughs> so I immediately go into the police as soon as I get the opportunity, because all of you guys. At 6.30pm, she was brought out of the dungeon. The bandmaster was already sprawled out on the living room, living room sofa, paralytically drunk. After serving her a bowl of ramen, the gang explains that she would be allowed to live under one condition. She would have to kill her boyfriends. Would you take that trade? Or, more importantly, do you think your partner would? That is savage. I'm not, I'm not even thinking about those questions. Those are like those rhetorical questions that, you know, the chances are you're never going to be in that situation. So let's just not think about it and let's just move on because 
that is where darkness lies. Miss Kim took the pragmatic approach. When the time came, she was handed a black plastic bag. The gang ordered her to slip it over the head of the bandmaster and pull it tight at the neck. They had poured so much liquor down the bandmaster's throat that he couldn't even struggle while he slowly suffocated to death. After a few minutes, he was gone. After watching her former lover wrapped up in a duffel bag, Mrs. Miss Lee was once again tossed down into the dungeon, while one of the gang went off to dispose of the body. She was told that if they failed, she would be left to starve to death, alone in the darkness. Back above ground in the garage, the gang tossed the bandmaster into the boot of his own car and drove off into the mountains. Once they found a secluded spot at the top of a cliff, they intentionally left skid marks on the roadside to make it look like the driver had lost control. After, I mean... He lost control, and then he got super drunk, so he can't even possibly drive, and got stabbed in the side by a knife, and then got suffocated by a bag. Do these guys Are these guys not aware that this is the 1990s, and that autopsies exist, and that science is at a place to determine this? What are you talking about? After hauling the uh, bandmaster's body into the driver's seat, they pushed the Hyundai off the cliff and watched it plummet onto the rocks below. When the wreckage was found the next day, the police wrote it off as a freak accident. The driver's blood alcohol was extremely high after all. Yes, so if he's so absolutely drunk that he can't even prevent himself being suffocated, he's not going to be able to operate a motor vehicle. Come on, police. <laughs> Again, here we are in Casual Criminalist. Why? Police, why? Police, why? The Xi'an family returned home triumphant, much to the relief of the captive downstairs. There was probably a 99% chance that she would have been in that car too, but somehow she had made it through her first trial alive. She heard the sounds of drinking and celebrating above, and soon on her unlikely advocate, Kim Hyung Yang, came downstairs to fetch her. The rest of the gang weren't quite as welcoming of Ms. Lee, especially Moon San Rock. After all, rule number three clearly stated that women were not to be trusted. And yet here was little Kim trying to invite a female into their circle. Most of the rep more reputable sources describes what happened next as a heated argument, although one Korean tabloid seems to suggest that Kim and Moon settled their differences with a sword fight. Ah, tabloid journalism. And you could choose your own adventure on that one, shouting match or swashbuckling. Either way, it ended like this. The gang asked Miss Lee if she was willing to join them. She agreed to comply, adding that although she couldn't possibly help them, she vowed not to hinder them. That diplomatic answer brought her a few more days. The Married Couple as far as murder spree goes, this one was off to a pretty decent start. There was really only one major problem. If the Xi'an family kept leaving the bodies of their victims littered around the Korean countryside, one would eventually be traced back to them. The solution? A homemade incinerator in the basement. All they needed now were some wealthy victims to put in it. On the 13th of September, the Chuseok Festival, kind of like a Korean Thanksgiving, was fast approaching. City dwellers made plans to return to their hometowns and tidy up the graves of their ancestors. That's... It. I mean, I don't really know much about Thanksgiving in the US, but is that? I don't think that's something that goes on, right? It's more just like eating turkey and saying what you're thankful for, right? And drinking? Is there drinking at Thanksgiving? I feel like there is. I don't know. That's exactly what factory owner Mr. So, again, a pseudonym, was doing that afternoon along with his wife, Mrs. Park. Again, a pseudonym. That morning, they took a trip down to Nam Seoul Cemetery to the east of Seoul to clean up his relative's headstone. Little did they know that as they parked their Hyundai Grandeur out front and walked through the cemetery gates, the cafe worker and her new clique were watching on. As Mr. So and Mrs. Park walked past the gang's car, Lee Jong-soo tried to signal them with her eyes. Turn 
and run. On the long drive up north, she had been debating whether to do the same herself, but the gang had convinced her that they could find her no matter where she ran to. They claimed to be part of a wide network of kidnappers with eyes in every city, including police officers. Oh yeah, that's scary. And it does seem like they bought off the local police, right? Or something. Wasn't that mentioned at the beginning? That's got to be scary, because you're like, yeah, 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 I'll run. But then can you imagine going to the police and then being like, just handing you back over to the kidnappers and you're just being totally screwed? I mean, maybe go to the Korean FBI. Isn't that harder to like infiltrate? Like, I feel local police corruption is, I mean, it feels like unlikely in the West, in the US or something. I don't know. Korea's a super developed country. Why is there so much? There shouldn't be that much police corruption, really. Um, but I feel like in America, which, you know, you just know your FBI from the movies and at least I do, no personal interaction, <laughs> is like, I feel like they would be less corruptible or, you know, that's where I'd feel safe going to. This has got to be a terrible situation to be in, though. The convict, Bayak Byung Oak, must have sensed what she was thinking. He grabbed her and reminded her that he still didn't trust her. If she died anything funny, she was dead. Up on the hillside, Mr. So started clearing away the weeds with a handheld sickle. Kim Hyang Yang was first to approach him. Do you think you've come to clean? He asked the middle-aged businessman. Yes, he replied. But Kim had other ideas for the man. He drew his knife and set upon Mr. So. Mr. So cried out to his wife to fight back, but the others quickly overpowered her and dragged her into the getaway car. The man kept fighting, swinging at Kim with his sickle. The youngster eventually got the better of him, slicing his hands and sending him tumbling down a grassy hill at the back of the graves to where the car was parked. The gang gave him a brutal beating, and he too was bound and thrown in the car. Once again, the Chion family stole the keys to the couple's car and drove off without anyone seeing a thing. I can see why we called this chapter like the hatred of Hyundai's or whatever. These guys really don't like Hyundai's. The long drive back to the hideout was riskier than the last. Routine police checkpoints were set up along the roads. One spot search might be enough to uncover the kidnapped couple. Yeah, again, if the police were searching your car and they didn't find two people that were hidden in your car, I'd be like, police, get it together. Please don't be stopped. I mean, obviously be stopped and found. I, I know that's probably not what's going to happen. They were now loaded into the back of the goods truck. But the gang had a system. One car led the convoy far out front and radioed the others to warn them. These guys could have used ways. Not far south of Seoul, they found themselves stuck in a checkpoint traffic jam. The front car sounded the alarm and they carefully peeled out of the queue one by one so as not to arouse suspicion. They then switched to the quieter back roads. So it was 2am before they finally made it back home. Almost 12 hours bound and gagged in the back of a trunk. That was just the beginning of the couple's woes. After his bleeding hands were bandaged up, Mr. So was the first to be interrogated. The gang told him that they were only in it for the money, and if he cooperated, and his wife would live. The victim explained, These people are so funny. I mean, not like ha ha funny, but like, oh my god, funny. They're just wanting to gather money, but they hate rich people. The irony is rich. The victim explained that he was a self-made man, not one of the wealthy trust fund beneficiaries they despised. He purchased the modest factory in Ulsan on the back of years of hard work. When I was a child, I did a lot of bad things, and I fully understand your heart. If you need money, I will give it to you. I have kids at home, my wife is sick and has to take medicine. If you keep us alive, I will never report you. The gang swore to do so, provided that he could come up with 100 million won in cash. They took him to a nearby public phone and told him to call the manager of his company. If he said anything strange-sounding, they'd execute his wife without hesitation. Not only that, they would go to his children's school and kill them too, so Mr. So made the call. He told his factory manager that he'd been in a bad car accident and needed a wad of cash ASAP. The manager agreed to muster up 100 million won from the company's accounts, although he would pretty much leave their cash reserves dry. They arranged to meet at Guan Anxiong bus terminal for the handover. I think that's about um, $100,000. Is that about right? Because they wanted a billion won, which was 
A million dollars, so it's a thousand times less, so a hundred million be a hundred thousand. I think that's about right. The Chion family were pleased with how well he sold the story. How Mr. So was quite rightly skeptical about their promises. Back down in the basement, he hatched a plan. Using a ballpoint pen from his jacket, he wrote the words, Report me on the inside of his bandages. But before setting off, one member came down to redress his wounds, and they found the message. This is your last chance, they told him. Play along, or your family dies. Lee Jong-su was once again invited along on this leg of the caper, another part of her involuntary internship. The gang reiterated that if she put one foot out of line, she was dead. The Xi'an family claimed one of their organization's top gunmen would be watching the trade from afar with a scoped rifle. After seeing the heavy-duty gear in the hideout, she even believed their claims about being part of a much bigger anti-rich organization. Spoiler alert, they weren't. No, it's just their crazy little group. After, even if she saw an opportunity to escape, she was too terrified to take it. So she, the factory owner, and three, the three merry men set off for the bus terminal, a halfway point between the hideout down south and Seoul in the north. What happened along the way is my favorite part of this story by far. Ooh. Somewhere between the hideout and the bus station, Kim Huan Yang was fiddling with a stick of dynamite in the passenger seats. <laughs> Apparently, they thought it was a necessary piece of kit for this mission. Yeah, what you do, please tell me you blow it up. Wait, is the innocent girl in the in the car with them? Oh no. Oh no. There's a reason heavy explosives comes with all of those awkward warnings, which the young killer soon discovered. The stick of dynamite blew up in the footwell, blasting chunks out of his hands and leaving severe burns up his arms and legs, and even blew a hole right through the bottom of the car. Holy sh**. Well, one, I'm surprised it didn't blow up the whole car, because in my mind, dynamite's super powerful, but I guess it could have been like a small bit of dynamite. So, great. Just this guy gets really ruined. I don't feel bad for him at all. I'm like, excellent. Good. <laughs> right after the ringing stops in everyone's ears, they turned right around and went back to the hideout. The Korean wily Coyote went off to get himself patched up at a local clinic, and another gang member substituted in for him. Mr. So could only hope that his employee would still be there by the time they arrived. Yeah, if my boss was like, meet me, meet this random person with $100,000 in the middle of nowhere, just put it in like a plastic bag and he didn't show up on time, I'd be like, oh, I guess I'm going home. No, I would wait there until the man showed up because obviously some crazy shit is going down and my boss probably needs me. I'd also probably call the police. When they finally made it to the station two hours later, he breathed a sigh of relief. His employee's car was parked among the crowds. The Xion boys told him to go and collect the cash, so he walked across the, car, the station car park and knocked on the window of the car. The manager tried to get out to greet him, but Mr. So gestured for him to stay put. He then sat down on the passenger seat and took the bag of cash from the manager. Just 80 million won, that was all that was in the company account, so Mr. So prayed that it would be enough before slipping out of the door, and he managed to quick, quietly whisper, I've been kidnapped. He then returned to the gangsters and explained the shortcoming. They told him not to worry. 80 million was fine. He had done well. <laughs> Flexible on the amount. That's fine. No worries. Could have been 70. It's a negotiation. While the gang drove off, the manager sat alone in his car with his heart beating out of his chest. He might only have a few hours to save the kidnapped man's life, but what do you do in that situation? He decided to go to the police station back in Ulsan. Yeah, that, I mean, what do you do in that situation? You go to the police, you go to the FBI. They were like, we've bought off the police. Okay, cool. FBI or whatever the Korean FBI is, that's who you go to. Uh, Ulsan was where the factory was located. Then he came face to face with our old nemesis, inefficient police bureaucracy. Ah, yes. <laughs> Brilliant. There's only a few hours left to save a man who's been kidnapped. Sit down. You're going to need to take a long statement about this and file some paperwork. The cops there essentially told him, Cool story, bro, but it's not our problem. Our oh, police, why? All over the world, why are you so s***? 
reports. They told him to report it in the jurisdiction where the trade actually occurred. Apparently, that kind of bureaucratic apathy was quite common back then. So even the man, so the manager wasted hours driving all the way back to Guangzhou, where the police were skeptical it even happened. It all sounded like a fake story to cover out a bit of light tax evasion by the firm, or just to avoid blame for some financial shortfalls. So let's him up on the. Phone. This is like the most extreme excuse. What happened to the money? Well, my boss was kidnapped, and what we did is we gave it across to this really sketchy guy in a car park. That's where the money went. <laughs> They let him file the report nonetheless, but never put much stock in the tale of kidnapping and extortion. That's how the story would eventually break to the press, just a minor footnote in the evening editions, which would soon balloon into the biggest news story in the country. Promises Broken the Xion family returned to the hideout triumphant. As they opened the front door, Kim Huan Yang jumped up startled from the sofa. He was waiting next to a pile of gas cylinders with a lighter in one hand and a knife in the other. His job was to blow the place sky high if the mission failed. Why in the hell was he still trusted to handle explosives? I don't know. Wait, was this the guy who got his, his leg blown off? <laughs> How is he still alive? Has he not got some... Oh, I mean, and also then you give him explosives. What is going on? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we laugh at the cops for being a bit like incompetent and bureaucratic, but like not as not as incompetent as these criminals. His fear turned to joy when they unzipped the swag bag. Here was more money than any of them had ever hoped to see in their lives. To celebrate, they did what any reasonable person with a bag full of eighty grand would do. They got absolutely smashed. The gang spent the night downing soju and beer and invited Miss Lee to join them. She heard them excitedly planning their future moves. They planned on training with boats to raid luxury riverside villas, attacking police stations and other public buildings, and spreading their doctrine far and wide. Their doctrine literally seems to be hating the rich and self-enrichment. It's the shittiest doctrine that I've ever heard of, and we've had some pretty shitty doctrines on Casual Criminalist. The conversation eventually turned to more pressing concerns. What to do with the couple in the cellar downstairs? Kang Dong-un had been to see their imprisoned leader, Kim Ki-hwan, that same day. He was the one with the master plan, and it included a daring next move, a jailbreak to get him back in the field. The last thing he wanted was to return to prison. Keep it neat, the leader instructed them. No loose ends. That rang alarm bells with the waitress, very aware that she herself was one of the loose ends. She sat with her head bowed, swaying from the liquor, while the other members debated her fate. Let's get rid of her today, shouted Moon Sang Rock. Kang Dong-un reluctantly agreed. The boss's word was final. Women were not to be trusted. He said this despite the fact that his own girlfriend was becoming more involved with the questionable social circle. She even celebrated with them that evening and officially signed up a couple of days later. How do you officially sign up to become part of a terrorist gang? Terrorist? These terrorists? They're kind of terroristy. You like sign some sort of documents? That would be a great example of writing down your crimes. Something we often learn on casual criminalists that if you're a criminal, you should absolutely not do, okay? Bolstered by a bit of Dutch courage, amateur explosives enthusiast Kim Hun Yang stood up on his crutches to confront them. He said the waitress had kept her word so far, so she should be spared, just like they promised. But before he could finish that rousing speech, a beer bottle clanged off his head, leaving a gushing wound above his eye. Moon Sang Rock came at him swinging, and the fight spilled out into the street. The waitress's odds were not looking good now. Her only protector was an invalid, literally fighting for her life at this very moment. Since her hand, since his hands and legs were still messed up from the dynamite, I'd have given him four to one odds max. 
We're going to be gambling on these people. Miss Lee was sent to her bedroom while it unfolded. After a few, few minutes, Moon Sang Rock came in. She thought she was done for, but all he did was glare at her and shut the door again. Her protector returned soon after, a little more bruised and bloodstained than before. From now on, stay by my side at all times. With the celebrations over, the Xion family got back to work planning their next big move. They bought a couple of cell phones and paid the deposit for a refrigerated truck for the prison break plan. One of them went shopping in Busan and collected price quotes for literal bag loads of illicit firearms. Again, we know how easy it is to buy a gun in the US, and here we are in Korea buying bags of illegal guns crazy. They even managed to bribe a clerk at Seoul's exclusive Hyundai department store, no relation to the car company, to procure their mailing list. This was a veritable rich list of Seoul's well-heeled upper middle class, the 1,200 biggest credit card spenders on their books. The gang planned to use this to better target their campaign against actual wealthy people in the future. The guy who sold that list, thinking he was just selling it, I don't know, for some like marketing company or something, is probably going to regret that. Before setting off to do that, though, they had to sort out the little problem in the basement. One of them took down a bottle of strong rice wine and told the couple to drink until they blacked out completely. The next time you open your eyes, you'll be waking up right in front of your house. So the couple guzzled down the alcohol until they both passed out on the cold prison floor. In case you've not figured it out yet, they were not taken home safely. Dragging his battered body along on his crutches, Kim Hyung Yang took Miss Lee down to the sleeping victims. The rest of the Xion were already waiting there with a plastic bucket, knife, axe and plastic bag. Little Kim handed the waitress the gas gun. Once again, she was forced to implicate herself in the crime. When she couldn't bring herself to do it, Kim hugged her from behind and held her hand, aiming at the back of the businessman's head. He pushed on her finger and pulled the trigger. Once for Mr. So, and once for Mrs. Park. The rest of the gang got to work with the axes and knives. They hacked the bodies to pieces and dumped them in the incinerator. To cover up the smell and the fumes, they even had a barbecue out front of the house. Some of the neighbors even came round to join in. Why invite your neighbors? Why? Why? Criminals, you'd be so dumb. But beef and pork weren't... Oh, God. Oh, God. I was thinking, oh, okay, so they weren't really barbecuing people. They were just barbecuing to hide the color, the smell of the bodies. Ah, uh, but beef and pork weren't the other, only other things on the menu that day. One of the gang members later admitted to eating the flesh of the dead couple before burning the bodies. He claimed it was to boost his courage and renounce his humanity for good. Some reports also mentioned the rest of the gang partaking in some casual cannibalism too, even forcing Miss Lee to eat the liver. What? Miss Lee, you, you're in so deep. Holy I can't find any mention of that in a first-hand tell-all from 2015, but it's not really the sort of thing that you brag about, is it? This cannibalism is what the Cheon family are often best remembered for, although I have to point out that there's a chance it might be heavily exaggerated. The most sensational, i.e. bullshit versions of the story say they distributed the human meat pieces to the neighbors too, but I'll go out on a limb and say that's absolutely false. Yes, I mean, there's self-incrimination, and then there's like, bro, what are you doing? Self-incrimination. Like, come on, stop. Nope. Never trust a woman. Cannibal or not, Miss Lee sensed that her time was running short. The gang were already gearing up for their spectacular jailbreak operation by practicing the fine art of dynamite throwing. Once the supreme leader made his grand comeback, it was game over. Kim, I can't imagine they're going to orchestrate a successful prison break. These guys are like two-bit criminals. They're not very competent. They blew themselves up with dynamite in a car while well, one of them did. It's like, how are you going to break someone out of jail? <laughs> really? Kim Huan Yang told her, Maybe the majority vote will determine your fate. If that happens, I'll make sure it's painless. Sure, it's like, yeah, yeah, it'll be painless. Just like the last time where we raped you and then you had to kill your husband. You had to kill your boyfriend. So holy shit, guys. 
It was just the two of them left at the hideout that day while the others prepared for the next mission. Miss Lee knew that this would probably be her very last chance at escape. Her savior was scheduled for a hospital visit in the afternoon, and she managed to convince him to take her along. Her legs also got some burns from the blast. For some reason, he decided to accept. Instead of locking Miss Lee up in the basement, he drove with her down to the hospital. Bear in mind at this point that she still believed that the Xion family were thousands strong. Even if she thought she could run, there was always the threat of capture, days, weeks months down the line. So great was the psychological control that when Kim Kwan Yang sat her down in the busy waiting room, he told her, Do you want to run away? Do you want to escape? If you want to run away, run away. Was he mocking her or being sincere? She couldn't tell. After 10 minutes, the nurse called Kim Kwan Yang's name. He stood up, looked at Miss Kim and smiled. After he disappeared into the consultation room, it was just her and a crowd of old grannies in the waiting area. But still, she sat, rooted to the spot. Was this a final test of loyalty, with the rest of the gang waiting downstairs to snare her? After a few minutes, she decided to risk it. Oh my god, that's got to be terrifying. If you like, you've just been convinced that there's this big gang, and they're everywhere. And you're like, what if this is a test? And if I run, they're going to capture me and kill me for sure. And if I don't run, then I'm a loyal member of the gang, and they're not going to kill me, and I can hopefully escape at some later time. Oh my god, this has got to be so psychologically intense. Miss Lee stood up on shaking legs and made her way out of the back gate. She flagged down the first cab that came by and told the driver to go. It didn't matter where. The man behind the wheel noticed she was distressed and asked what was wrong. She told him that she'd been kidnapped, and he started asking by whom. He claimed to know all the big players in the underworld, which sounded like standard taxi driver chat, which made her worry that her getaway vehicle might lead her straight back to the Chihon. She demanded to be dropped off where they were and tossed him a 100,001 note. Miss Lee now found herself in an unfamiliar farming village, hundreds of miles from the city that she called home. She had a pocket full of Kim Hwang Yang's cash as well as his cell phone. However, she was afraid to turn it on in case the Chihon could track it through the signal. Oh my gosh. This is, I mean excellent exemplifier of a paranoia. I mean, this is the 90s. I mean, I saw like, even the CIA was tracking cell phones back then and it looked really complicated. They'd be like, we've got to wait like 30 seconds while we track it down. I was watching Mission Impossible the other day and it takes them a long time to even trace like a, uh, a, a payphone in the 90s. So she ran off into the woods for cover and planned her next move. Eventually, she stumbled across a greenhouse where she hid under a table for about eight hours. When the owner of the greenhouse eventually found the trespasser camping out on his land, he allowed her to use his house phone. She called one of the few people she absolutely knew she could trust, her co-worker from the cafe. Where are you? The bandmaster died in a car accident. We've been searching for you for days. She told him she couldn't explain right now and asked to meet him in Seoul. The farmer managed to land her a ride with someone from the village and they set off in the middle of the night. Miss Lee slinked down in the passenger seat just in case they drove past the Xion or their allies. At each roadblock they passed, she was terrified that she might see Moonsang Rock's face appear at the window. Why are there so many roadblocks in Korea? After switching cars one more time, she finally arrived in the Gangnam area of Seoul of the annoying novelty song fame and checked into a hotel. There where she was met by her co-worker and her boyfriend, along with the cafe owner's brother, who drove them. After hearing a harrowing story, they convinced her to report it to the Seocho police station. But the police weren't as receptive as she hoped. Miss Lee begged the cops not to send her back down south to make the report, as happened to the factory manager earlier on. When she refused to leave, the cafe owner's brother decided to call on his trusted contact in the police. That's when he paged Captain Go, currently staking out a house in his patrol car. With his help, Miss Lee finally convinced the police to believe her and agreed to sit tight at the hotel. Two tense days later, an officer presented her with a mugshot of Kang Dong-ung. She confirmed this was the man. Captain Go told her to go get a good night's sleep, because tomorrow was going to be a big day. Showdown.
We're now back in front of the hideout on September the 19th. Captain Go's men spent hours staking out the place before Kang Dong-un, one of the most dangerous members of the gang, emerged and hopped into the truck. Oh wow, this happened right back at the beginning of the episode. This was before we went back and told the whole story, where the guy was hiding outside in, outside the pink house. Despite Miss Lee's daring escape, the gang never bothered vacating the headquarters. Their drinking binge had continued unabated, safe in the knowledge that she was too implicated in the murders. Yo, she was forced to do those murders. That's like under duress, right? It's a pretty strong defense right there. Kang was actually off to buy some vegetables for a hangover-cured dinner when the police watched him leave that day. Captain Go was the first on his tail, following him along the narrow dirt roads that separated the farmer's fields. The gangster was quick to realize that he was being followed and slammed his foot down. Two more officers managed to intercept him at an intersection ahead, sending the truck careening down an embankment. Kang took off on foot into the fields, but the officers were faster. Mrs. Lee watched from a distance as the cops ran him down and tackled him to the floor. This now pit the officers against the clock. Once other members noticed Kang was gone, they'd have a far better chance of escaping, or worse, going out in a blaze of glory. They decided to use their first catch as bait. I don't know, escaping or go or worse, going out in a blaze of glory? I'd be like, no, nah, worst is they escape. Pretty good option is they end up blowing themselves up. They're like, that sounds like a win. <laughs> Less investigation, and they're all dead. Woo! Go home and have a cup of tea. They decided to use their first catch as bait. Captain Go called the hideout from the nearest police station. It was hopeless romantic Kim Hyung Yang who answered. Go told him that his buddy was seriously injured in a traffic accident and had better come quick. They also recovered a substantial chunk of cash from the wreck. The gang was suspicious, but the promise of recovering their money was enough to bring Kim and Moon Sang Rock down to the station. The former must have sensed that something wasn't right because he stayed in the car and sent his mate inside. As soon as Moon stepped foot through the door, three officers piled on him and dragged him to a cell, creaking and kicking and screaming. Kim Hyung Yang sped off when he saw all of that unfold, and once again, Captain Go gave chase. The killer was driving towards a gas station in town, ready to blow himself sky-high rather than be captured. Before he could get there, the captain caught up, forcing Kim's car into a wall. The young This Captain Go is a legend. <laughs> It's like an action movie star. The youngster put up a decent fight for a man whose hands were blown apart by dynamite just a few days earlier, but ultimately, he collapsed of exhaustion. Three out of five down. With just two members left inside, the police now had the advantage. They returned to the hideout and blew the front door off its hinges with a breech device. Kang Moon Sub was caught on the living room sofa. He threw his hands in the air when the cops entered. Baek Byong Ok made a run for it out bang, trying to escape into the mountains. The two cops posted on the mountainside quickly intercepted him. With that little cinematic episode over, the Xi'an family's campaign of terror came to an end. The police explored the hideout and discovered everything Miss Lee told them was true. The stench of gore and death emanated from the basement, where they found all of the tools used to torture and dismember the victims. The gang was load then loaded into a police van transported to the holding cells in Seoul. Miss Lee followed behind with the detective. I'm at this point thinking, do they have the death penalty in Seoul? Did they have it in the 1990s? I get the feeling they do. I know we did an episode about Japan. And I mean, I don't know why I compare Japan and Seoul. They're entirely different countries. They're just like in the same part of the world to me. And like developed, you know, super developed Asian countries. And in Japan, they still hang people, which was super intense. So maybe Korea's doing something similar? I don't even know. Miss Lee followed behind with the detectives. Looking at the gang of troubled youths being thrown into the police cells, she couldn't help but feel sorry for what she'd done to them. What? That's right, what she had done to them. That is what we call some Stockholm Syndrome right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Lee, you're good to go. Just, just, you can leave this all behind. You were kidnapped and they made you do horrible things. Oh my God. And they did horrible things to you. Apparently, we're gonna, yeah, despite all the rape, torture, murder, and cannibalism, she still felt that they were a bunch of good kids at heart. I'm not sure if I'd agree with that. 
right there with you, Callum. Not sure I'd agree with that either. Execution. Oh, well, there we go. Yes, seems they do have execution in Korea. Shortly after the capture, the police station was flooded with reporters. The story of the Xion family became the biggest story in the country. Every journalist and politician had their say on how such a terrible thing could happen. They didn't just attack the killers either. The editor of the Korea Times, Park Moon Jong, wrote, Indiscreet spending sprees have caused youths on the other side of the fence to feel deprived. This money worship inducing people to accumulate wealth through illegal and abnormal ways is to blame for these shocking crimes. Whoa, 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 whoa. No. They're to blame for these shocking crimes. They kidnapped people who they didn't like and murdered and ate them. What are you talking about? I mean, I get that. I, I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. Like, yes, this is the thing that spurred them on this thing. But it's like, sure. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Society's all kinds of f***ed up. But that doesn't mean we all have to go around killing people, does it? That's not the fault of the screwed up society. I mean, it's a little bit. But it's not like the primary motivating factor here, is it? Times or whoever this was who wrote this nonsense. Yeah, that rich people? You better stop enjoying that cash or there might be a gang of psychopathic robbers coming to a town near you. As someone from a working class background, I take a bit of issue with the idea that poverty and envy equals crime. Yes, exactly. That's a glorious oversimplification. I mean, half of my schoolmates work in manual labor jobs and none of them have ever kidnapped or eaten anyone yet. Yes. Oh my god. What a disaster. A culture of decadence of haves and have-nots only goes so far in explaining why these guys did what they did. That's why other commenters just went with the standard bad seed angle. While those parts of the media painted the gang as a bunch of psychopathic sadists, Captain Go saw it differently. Over the course of the investigation that followed, he discovered that the Xion were just uneducated kids who came from dirt-poor conditions, perhaps a victim of violent upbringings themselves. And I mean, look, we've talked about it before a lot on Casual Criminalist. A lot of the, like, total psychos we talk about on this channel it's like oh look you look back and it's like oh they had a violent childhood with abusive parents and bad conditions shocking but that's still i mean yeah it, it, it's a factor of who they became but it doesn't excuse this sort of behavior there are lots of people with terribly up backgrounds who don't end up becoming psychopathic murdering cannibals any chance these impoverished serial killers had a gaining sympathy was dashed when they parade were paraded in front of the cameras that's when kang dong made his claims of cannibalism and kim hyung yang said that his only regret was that he couldn't kill more rich people those who ride the expensive grandier cars i'm so angry i couldn't kill them all please put this on tv or your lawyer is going to be upset when he hears about what you've been up to <laughs> He also told the press that their ultimate goal was to attack the police headquarters in Seoul and then take over a TV station with the weapons. They would then broadcast their anti-rich message to the nation, then blow themselves up. So what was the point of gathering? Didn't they want like a million dollars? What was all this for, you hypocrites? As you can imagine, all this very public boasting did not help their case in court. Each of the Chiang family members, including their already imprisoned leader, Kim Ji Hwan, were convicted of all five murders, along with a litany of other offenses, and they were sentenced to death. Kang Dong-un's girlfriend also got a four-year prison sentence for joining the gang near the end of their spree. You'd be happy to hear that Miss Lee was never prosecuted despite being forced to participate. Good. Yes, she deserves no punishment, even though she technically killed people. It's like... Yeah, in those circumstances, she cannot be blamed. She went on to live a normal life after the ordeal. I mean, that's remarkable in itself. Like, you're gonna... Sh I, boy, I would struggle after that. Thanks in part to the anonymity which South Korea grants the victims of crimes. While the gang was awaiting trial, she went to visit Kim Hyung-yang in prison to get some closure on the ordeal. She asked him if he meant for her to escape. 
He didn't even seem sure of himself. When she was a captive, he had secretly told her he wished he could leave the gang and start a normal life with the woman he loved, but if he tried, the Xion would slaughter his family, perhaps allowing her to escape was the best that he could do. After the investigation, Captain Go received letters from gang members in prison after their conversion to Catholicism. One of them asked him, please try to prevent sinners like us from appearing. He spent over a decade longer on the force doing just that, and eventually gained his PhD in criminology by writing his thesis on the case, the most famous of his career. And I'll say it again, Captain Go in this one, bit of a legend. As for the gang members themselves, they spent over a year behind bars awaiting their fate. Leader Kim Ki-hwan, who throughout their trial defended his followers and took all the blame himself, told the press, Even if I fall to hell, I don't know there will be a seat for me. On November 2, 1995, he got a chance to find out. Kim Ki-hwan and his disciples were executed that morning. Wrap up. That marked the end of the Xi'an family, one of the most horrifically fascinating criminal gangs I've ever come across. They set out to terrorize the rich, but in the end it seems that their mission did more harm to ordinary people than challenge the equality and corruption that they claim to hate. Less Karl Marx, more Charles Manson. Yeah, indeed. Totally. At any rate, the good thing is Miss Kim had the brains and bravery to outmaneuver the gang and win her freedom. Had she not, maybe they would have realized their goal of full-blown domestic terrorism. As it stands, they only managed to claim five victims that we know of. Yeah, I'd also be like, I think their goal of like, yeah, we're going to take over a TV station. We're going to spread our message to the masses. It's like you guys were fairly incompetent overall. Like I'll give you about three out of 10 as terrorists go. You're not going to be able to do that. You're going to get caught at some point. Someone's going to stop you. You're going to get shot. Just I don't think that would have happened. We'll never know for sure. One thing's for certain, though, if I ever get the chance to visit Korea, I'll be sure to act like I don't have a penny to my name. The last thing I need is to end up on some Xion copycats barbecue. Yes. Dismembered appendices. Number one. Shortly after the gang were executed, Captain Go was out on a business trip when he received a call from the prison warden. Nobody had come forward to collect Moon Sang Rock's body. He called his wife to explain, who begrudgingly agreed to go sort it out. She oversaw his burial in the cemetery of a Catholic church. Nobody else came to the funeral. Why is this his problem? Be like, yo, I put that guy behind bars. He was a horrible monster. Just... There's an incinerator in the basement, isn't there? Why does he have to have a funeral and all of this stuff? No one's coming anyway. No one cares. It's like, oh, we should have some respect in death. Why about respecting a little more life, huh? Huh? Number two. The Xion's claims of being a bigger organization of killers were almost definitely BS, but they did inspire some copycats further down the line. In 1996, 20-year-old Choi Jong-su created his own version named the Magapa. Their spree came to an abrupt end when one of their members tried to dispose of their first victim's car and was caught in a routine traffic stop. Out of a total of nine members, only Choi got the death sentence. Number three. Miss Lee had pretty rotten luck when it came to crime. One year before her ordeal with the Xion, she was the victim of a carjacking. While at a stoplight, two men hopped into her car and demanded her purse and jewelry. The thieves were decent compared to the Xion. They just kicked her out on the side of the road with 20,001 for a taxi. Number four, just three last loose ends to tie up. After their arrest, the Xion were extremely compliant with the authorities. They took them to where their former member, Moon, was buried, ratted out the department store worker who sold them the list, and even led them to the arms dealer that provided them with enough firepower to kill an elephant. There's no owner among thieves, I guess. What's the benefit? I mean, why? You're going to be put to death anyway. <laughs> just whatever oh this has been an episode of the casual criminalist thank you callum for putting it together i'm sorry that i didn't print out the last page of your script um or two pages or whatever but maybe my printer had some problem because there's a lot of weird black ink on the back of this page uh as i said this has been an episode of the casual criminalist if you're watching this on youtube smash the like button if you're listening as a podcast please leave me a review five stars preferred but be honest let me know what you think and uh that's about it really thank you for watching